Welcome to the Estate Season Podcast with Matt and Reese, where we talk about real estate, investing, personal development, and life. Hey guys, welcome back to the Estate Season Podcast. We are here with Charles Kaitaba. Uh, he's a mortgage broker that's been in the business for two and a half years now. Uh, his main focus is helping Canadians, mainly millennials, leverage debt and other forms of income to acquire assets that will be um, continuously producing for them. So we're lucky to have him on with us. We're going to ask him some questions regarding mortgages, how that compares, like when working with a broker compared to a bank, and kind of his life. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to have me on. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. I know it's, uh, it's been a long time coming. We kept asking you about the podcast before the podcast was a real thing. <laughs> so I, I think the first thing that we should go through is kind of what got you into being a mortgage broker how I know I said two and a half years but what yeah, was yeah. kind of like the the inset to that yeah man I man for me it was actually quite a journey um so my background is actually something completely outside of finance I was uh uh being into fitness so I was doing uh, my master's at Sheridan College up in Brampton um to be an athletic therapist I always thought I wanted to work for like a, a professional sports team probably the Raptors or like the Argos or something like that and just tape you know oversized men uh for the rest of my life more or less but uh, no and um I realized after a year of doing my master's I, I realized it wasn't for me but I was still very much into fitness um at that time I was working at Orange Theory Fitness and I got promoted to uh um pretty much a head coach so I was in charge of pretty much onboarding hiring uh growth of the studio you know taking um taking pretty much the responsibility of growing the studio while maintaining classes it was a really good uh experience of mine in terms of understanding the business side of the fitness industry right and I've always had a little bit of a, of a knack for numbers now during that time I was about 23 uh, 23 years old around that time so it was good right. I was making I was making a decent salary um and uh, I had a, a a friend of mine Nathaniel Gardner I always thank him to this day um he was actually an athlete on the Brock basketball team where I did my undergrad and I was a student athletic therapist while he was playing he um is a financial advisor and was getting to the mortgage business but he was heavily invested in real estate um at that time and um I was at and finally I just talked to him like yo how did you get into real estate how do you have so many properties like how did you quit your corporate job and you pretty much retired at 26 he quit his corporate job to do real estate full-time investing and um he kind of took me under his wing and um i started doing a, a few private deals um in terms of private lending on some of his deals and he taught me how to analyze deals breaking down how to fundraise money and we did a, a small commercial deal out in chatham a sixplex deal um, and I invested some money into it. I did pretty much everything from moving in tenants, crunching the numbers. And then, um, he taught me how to stabilize all that fun stuff from real estate investing standpoint. And then when we were able to refi and pay back all the investors that we borrowed money from 
and then he owned the property free and clear, right? And he never used any of his own money. And the return I got was like a third of my salary for like three, four months worth of work. And at that point, I'm like, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, man. So yeah. you saw that, that uh, Wolf of Wall Street show me the check moment. Yeah, more or less. Exactly. Exactly. Great movie, by the way. Um, Fantastic movie. Yeah. So I saw the return. I'm like, I need to find a different way to, to, for me, it was like, this is just, this was easy. Like I'm working 12 hours all day, every day at a studio, sweating, yelling, you know, and coaching is a very demanding, being a personal trainer is a very demanding job, right? On the body. Um, so I'm like, I got to get a way to make some money on the side. And then, you know, I'm like, I got to get into this business. I, he started writing his mortgage broker license. I'm like, I'm going to do it with you because I want to understand everything about finances and numbers. And naturally that's more of my, that's where I'm, I'm actually better at. And yeah, I wrote my mortgage broker license. Two and a half years later, here we are. Fair enough, fair enough. So what was the hardest point uh, for you getting your license and then I guess like the first deal as a mortgage broker? Man, I would say that I don't, it's getting that client, right? It's getting that first client to believe in you that you can actually provide them a good mortgage product. Um, naturally, you're dealing with an individual's biggest purchase, usually of their life. In most, in most cases, your, your, your house is the biggest investment you'll make, right? Yeah. So being able to take that on with confidence, you know, and say, hey, um, I can do this for you and not mess it up you know, that's probably the hardest part, right? So it takes some time because you have to be confident to reaching out to people, you know what I mean? Um, just looking at their finances, you know, because you're really taking a real in-depth look of their financial health. And it's very intimate looking at someone's income, debts and stuff like that because a lot of things that people don't want you to see, right? Yeah, um, yeah. On a personal side. So I would say that's probably the hardest thing is really just, you know, putting yourself out there and feeling confident enough that you can do this and close it from start to finish. Now, obviously you have help and stuff like that along the way with your brokers and your team, but that would probably be the, the hardest part, just picking up that first client. So to like kind of elaborate on that, how do you add value for your clients? Like what, what would you say if uh, someone was like, man, I'm thinking about going to a bank instead of you, like what would be that kind of like, value added that someone should go with you or a broker as opposed to like a bank? Yeah, no, that's, I get this question a lot, to be honest with you. And um, the very, a very straightforward answer is flexibility, right? Sometimes after reviewing their financial health and looking at their uh, complete, like a complete analysis of what they're looking to do and their goals, mm-hmm. Sometimes their bank that they go to may not be able to offer a product for them, right? So working with a mortgage broker who has access to multiple different lenders, you know, from all different sides of channels, whether it be your chartered A banks, like a Scotia TD, an alternative lender, a credit union, or even some private money, right? Or just be able to provide a more holistic solution based on what they're looking for. So with that, how do you get to be in a position where you can reach out to all of those people to find a solution? I, mean, I would say word of mouth is probably the best thing, right? Same with your industry. 
Um, oh yeah, word of mouth is free advertising. It's free. You do something great. You do so, you do something good. Um, for one person, you know, and you get them a really really good mortgage part. They're ecstatic, right? Because again, you're doing yeah. usually the largest investment. They are going to talk and talk about your name and rave about you with everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess my question was actually on the other side of that, right? So say you have this client, but how did you develop the relationships with the lenders, whether it be um, like TD, Scotia, or private lenders and things like that? Like, what were those steps for you in kind of building that network to actually be effective in your job? Oof, that's 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 a good question. That's a good question. Um, I would say one thing I, I'm I'm always I'm very upfront with all my clients and very honest, right? So I depending on what they're looking for, I'll tell them very quickly if it's a no or a yes, right? And sometimes a quick no is better than a slow yes, right? Because people naturally they have things to do. Um so you, you just have to be able to take on the client, look at their financial analysis, right? And just figure out where is the best piece because if they're not 680 plus, you know, good credit score, no debt, decent job, chances are with the stress test where it's at and the economy where it is and real estate and how, you know, and how aggressive these prices are, they may not be able to get into an A bank, you know? They may have to go to an alternative lender and it's just being able to understand the products that are out there through your own research and due diligence and seeing what you can do to provide solutions for your client. Fair enough. So I know a lot of question that we actually get is on that stress test as well. Do you care to elaborate on that? Obviously it's something that you deal with more in depth and something that we would, we have like a base knowledge, but right. you care to elaborate more on what that looks like and what that means. Yeah, the, the, the stress test is simply just put in um, for an, an affordability standpoint. So essentially, whatever, um, per, like whatever house that you're buying, right, um, and whatever rate that you're getting, you have to be able to afford a five and a quarter percent interest rate, all right, just in case if there's any fluctuation in market conditions like what happened in 2008, right? Um, and that will essentially, um, if you're able to do that, because we work off ratios, right? GDS and TDS, not to elaborate too, too much, but essentially you have your gross yeah. debt and your total debt service ratios. Gross debt being the housing costs. That needs to be housing costs in relative to your income, right? Um, that has to be below 39%. And then total debt service ratios is essentially your housing costs plus any personal debts or liabilities you may have, credit cards, line of credits, car notes, right? In relative to your income, that needs to be below 44%. If you're able to service that at a threshold of five and a quarter, essentially the banks give you a green light to get the mortgage, right? Okay. Now, obviously there's opinions if it's too high or too low, you know, that that's subjective from person to person. You know, that might've been the best explanation of a stress test i've ever heard yeah absolutely <laughs> like that was very uh easy to understand and follow oh good thank you i appreciate it Let's, like i said we have this conversation at least twice a day three times a day right so you better yeah. get good at it so here's a question for you how how do you make the connections with different banks and things like that like do you have a, a certain person in like td or uh, Scotia or yeah. like private lenders that you go to specifically every single yeah. time? Yeah. So there's, um, 
every bank, um, naturally, you have to look at us as like a liaison, right? We're like the middleman between the client and the bank. Mm-hmm. Now, the bank has uh, what we call BDMs, business development managers, where essentially it's their job to send out pamphlets in terms of updating us, what products they're offering, any changes in rates, things of that nature. So now whenever we're taking a client, and let's say we have a question about a new product that they're offering, we reach out to the BDM directly, right? And the BDM has now designated underwriters that most brokers have. And those are the individuals who are actually looking at the deals, underwriting them and passing them along for you. Okay, so what is a, what does an average deal look like from start to finish? I come in, I give you all of the paperwork. We'll talk about that in just a moment, like what kind of you need and all of, yep. that, and all of that stuff. Um, but what does that look like for you? Yeah, so what happens is naturally you want to have your first introductory or consultation call, right? Where you talk to the client, you figure out their needs and their wants, right? Um, what what are you working with in terms of an income, credit, debt perspective, um, if you know at the top of the head? And what are you looking to do? What's your end goal, right? Are you buying an investment property, a primary residence, et cetera? Based off that conversation, you're collecting documents, all right? All right? reason why we collect documents up front, because as a mortgage broker, we want to underwrite the deal before even submitting it to the bank to make sure we know the full story and if it's accurate based off the initial consultation, right? Okay, that will, so you do the majority of the work then just to get it like questions at the end. Exactly, because if there's any, uh, I want to underwrite the deal before I hand it to the underwriter because I want to be able to answer any questions the underwriter may have. Right. Fair enough. Once I underwrite the deal and I see that, okay, it's a green light. Then the client, I connect with the realtor. So I'll connect with uh, both of you fine gentlemen. We'll go out because we'll go out and find a property, right? Because now they're officially pre-approved. We'll go out and find a property and you find the client a property. Now, lucky enough, against 50 offers, you guys use your master negotiating skills <laughs> and we win the offer, right? Absolutely. Now, now it's a live deal. All right. We submit uh, everything over to the bank. And now I already know the underwriter is going to pick it up. Once the underwriter picks it up, if I do my job well, it should be done. It shouldn't, they really shouldn't have any questions because I would answer all the questions or hash that out with the client and with yourself, obviously, before even submitting over the deal, right? And then naturally the underwriter takes, you know, anywhere between, I would say, four to five business days to review the file, sometimes longer if there's any complexity. Um, and then it hits a status called broker complete where they're not asking for any more documents. And then from there, it gets instructed to the lawyers and the lawyers close it out. Okay. So leading up to um, getting pre-approval and things like that, what would be kind of like the, the top five things that you would recommend for someone? Uh, like whether it be like, saving spendings what kind of actions they should take what would be your top five in terms of getting pre-approved yes i don't think there's five things right i would say first (laughs) things first uh income definitely sorry uh, my income credit excuse me because i realize that people really have no idea what their credit score is yeah that's that that's the main thing credit is the big thing because there's so okay. many different credit facilities out there, like a Credit Karma, a TransUnion, right? And those numbers can be extremely off from like an Equifax, which is 
universal what the majority of the big banks use. Um, some of them will use TransUnion, but not too much. Um, so credit for sure. Next thing is uh, income. You know, where is the income coming in from? Are they self-employed? Or are they collecting a T4? Are they salary, right? Or are they an hourly wage worker or seasonal? Very important to understand that because um, lenders are going to look at that differently and require different documentation based off their um, employment status, all right? Thirdly, I would say down payment. Where is the down payment coming from, right? Is it being a gift? Is it from their own sources through their income? Is it something that's been invested? You know, cryptocurrency now, <laughs> you know, like where is the down payment coming from and how long has it been in your account for, right? Okay. That, uh, what you just said about uh, Credit Karma and things like that, like in comparison to, I think it's a TransUnion. Yeah. Like what, what is the difference between that? No, that's a, that's a really good question. I know Equifax is just the main reporting system which mm -hmm. all of your credit liabilities report to, right? Um, they all report to your Equifax. And then TransUnion, uh, to be honest, that's just a third-party company, right? So that's why their scores are relatively not aligned, right? Because huh. not, not all of your credit institutions, let's say you're financing a vehicle, you have a credit card or something like that, will report to them. Okay, so it's less accurate then. Correct. Interesting, because I know like I'm, a lot of people tend to gravitate to something like Credit Karma just because it's free and it's easy. Easier. Yeah, it's easier. They're more they they market they market themselves more, right? It's easier to get. You can I believe you download an app or something like that. Type in so your that's name, it. your address, and boom, it gives you a credit score. So following with uh, with like those suggestions is. Do, do the steps differ for someone looking to get their first mortgage or get like a second mortgage as far as like they're selling a home and then getting a new home? Um, not necessarily. Really, the only thing that changes is down payment, right? Because usually if you're selling a home, we would hope the majority of the proceeds of the sale, that's what you're using for down payment, right? So that's pretty much taking care of off jump, right? But other mm -hmm. than that, everything else is pretty the same. It's just understanding where the down payment's coming from. That's it. Okay, fair enough. And then as far as that goes, should someone sell their house first before going through the mortgage process? Or... I would highly go against that, you know, definitely. Unless they're planning on buying the house completely cash, right? Because they own a $2 million property, free and clear, and they're trying to downsize and buying let's say niagara for a million well you know then yeah but those cases aren't happening too much so i would strongly advise before you do anything real estate related you definitely want to speak with your mortgage broker first right just to understand you know again like you said your financial health your financial portfolio because who knows what if your credit took a hit over the last two months three months six months right and you're not able to get a financing no more and you thought you would be right now we're looking with alternative lenders or even private right? So you want to make sure you reach out to your mortgage broker first, just to get an idea of what you can actually qualify for based off some of those uh, attributes that I mentioned uh, uh, a few minutes ago. Okay. So as far as like a lenders and things like that, what's the major difference between them? What did you be like mortgage rates, things like that? Yeah. So there's a few things, right? Um, first off, you know, I always tell people alternative lending or any type of private lending isn't your go-to, but it's a solution 
to a problem, right? So what do I mean by that? People who are self-employed, like all of us here, right? We have the ability to write off a law, right? Off our income due to business expenses, et cetera. Yeah. Now, if we are making, let's say 200K a year in the business, right? And we're only showing 50K or 20K in income, taxable income, the big banks are only going to use what you show net, right? Because the, the big banks, right? They, they're, they cooperate with the CRA. They're only going to show what you get taxed on. And with a 20K or 50K income, what are you really getting in this? Uh, what can you actually get pre-approved for um, in this economy, right? In this real estate mm -hmm. economy that we're right? So, this, so the problem is you make a lot of money in the business, but you don't show a lot personally. But you want to buy, let's say, a $700,000 house or a million dollar house. This is where alternative lenders can come in to help you out, right? Why are, why are alternative, alternative, alternative lenders good? Excuse me, I'm butchering that word. <laughs> it's because they don't care about your personal income. They'll actually qualify you through your business bank statements, right? Oh. So as long as your business deposits are healthy, nine times out of 10, you can get the mortgage, right? Now, oh, interesting. the caveat with these alternative lenders, you got to play ball, right? Where you have, you can't take everything and not give. Minimum down payment required is 20%, right? And you're probably looking at quarter, quarter percent higher on the rate. Actually right now, because fixed rates are a little bit high, like you can get an alternative lender. As long as your credit's good, you can get like a one or two year term for as low as I've seen 2.89 which is just around the, the five-year fixed mark right now. Okay. So, right. And, and that's, and, and there's also some lending fees as well, but that's kind of like the, the, the solution to the problem. Right. Hmm. Um, now I, I apologize. Can you repeat the question? I feel like there was another, it was a two-parter. Oh gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, it's been a day. So I would say, what was the major differences between the two? Right. Right. Uh, however so, you, you had answered that. Right. So I'll say, yeah, no. And to keep it short, really it's the down payment, right? So 20%, um, there's no negotiation on that. It's 20% down payment. And you're looking at maybe a quarter percent higher on the rate with, uh, with some fees included, additional fees included. Okay. <laughs> So kind of a follow-up question. That's a sticky situation, sticky question per se. How does a mortgage broker get paid? Do clients pay you? Do banks pay you? No. So again, it ultimately depends on the lending side that you, that you're on. Right. Um, if you're working with uh, a, a big bank, so let's say a Scotia or TD, um, the bank pays us. Like you said, mm -hmm. we are liaison. We are the middleman for bringing them business and yeah. As a result of bringing Scotia the business, they're going to compensate me for that, right? Okay. So how that, that's how that works. Now, when you're working with these alternative lenders, even private lenders, you know, the, the compensation isn't the same. They're not necessarily paying us, which is why, you know, there's opportunities to charge maybe a broker fee, right? Or something along those lines in order to compensate ourselves for the work that we did. Fair enough. Would you say that most of your mortgages that you've done in the last little bit have been with banks or private lenders? No, banks, banks, usually with majority with banks. Very, very rarely 
do I use private lending? Um, it really depends, right? Um, again, private lending isn't a go-to option. It's a, it's a solution for a problem, right? So you should never be scared of private lending. Like for example, I have a client right now. She um, got a message from the builder that they're closing in a week, pre-construction. They weren't aware. Okay. So it's four days. In this lending climate, how do you secure a mortgage in four days? That would be very tough, yeah. Right? Um, now, there's if you have contacts at the branch, which I'm lucky I do, we are you are able to maybe refer them to a branch, right? Um, again, even that's tough, but you are able to maybe refer them to a branch and maybe they can close it out same day, right? Two or three business days have it have it closed up, right? But in most cases, they might be they might be forced to go private lending, right? Um, just so they don't lose the property, right? Yeah. It's an open mortgage for 30 days. That way that 30 days is enough breathing room to refinance them out of that private lender into an A bank. That way they're back with attractable rates, right? But again, that's a solution. So that's going to cost, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then as far as the rates go, like, would you say that uh, the rate determines which mortgage that you should go with? Is that like always like lowest rate is the exact mortgage? No, never, never. To be honest with you, I, I rarely, rarely talk about rates with my clients. I think that's like the final conversation. Really? Yeah. Because this is the thing. If as a broker, if all you can offer is rate, right? If all you can offer is rate, you're not really doing your job because they can walk into the branch and they'll get the best rate every time. Hmm. Especially if it's a home run deal, especially if it's like, you know, um, two parent household income or, you know, newlywed couple, one's a teacher, one's a police officer. I'm just pulling things out of my, my, yeah. my butt here, you know, you know, decent, um, strong salary, let's say, you know, teachers now anywhere between, let's say 60 to hundred K, depending if it's high school, university, or elementary school, firefighters make a decent living, you know, 80 to hundred K that's some, that's good household income. You know, they walk into any branch and they want to buy like a $500,000 property. That's, that's going to be nothing. Right. So the branch is going to be take care of that. So you got to be able to talk about other things outside the rate, right. Are they able to prepay their mortgage, right. Up to 20%. That's an excellent product because some people want to pay down their mortgage faster. Right. Not all lenders have that. Um, like amortization, what are their long-term goals? Do they want to invest in the future, right? So are they looking to potentially renovate the property, refinance and, and put them and, and buy another property and pull up and leverage the equity in the property? So maybe they don't want to fix, maybe they want a variable, right? You want to start talking like this, right? Because if it's solely on rate, we will lose 10 times out of 10. Brokers would be out of business. Okay. Interesting. So it's more of the problem solving that uh, that's the biggest value. Yeah, there. definitely. It seems that yeah. way. Exactly. And and we, we have to be honest with the situation that we're in, with the economic times that we're in. I've, there's no such thing as an easy deal. You know, we'll get the few slam dunk deal where it's very easy. Like I said, salaried, no debt, you know, 20% down payment. Fine. I just need a mortgage. Oh, we'll take those all day. But eight, 
out of 10 times, there's something that needs to be done or that needs to be corrected, right? Okay, that's a, that's a good thing to, to think about for sure, especially when comparing going to a bank versus a broker. Yeah. Right, a lot of times the bank is just like cut and dry, this is it, or have a good day. Right, and in some ways people understand not all banks aren't created equal, right? Like TD is very different from Scotia, right? You can get declined for TD for a deal and you could get accepted by Scotiabank the very next day just because mm -hmm. different product lines, right? So and as a mortgage broker, we are forced to understand the different products and the advantages of each bank or where to go to, right? It's almost like you have a little bit more uh, creative freedom. Exactly. That's what you want to call it. That's what you want to call it. I think that's a fantastic kind of like endpoint for why you would go with a broker as yeah. opposed to a bank. Yeah, no, and like the, there's advantages and this and disadvantages to both, right? Um, I just like the position that we're in as a broker, especially the way things are in real estate right now and the way the prices are going. You know, unfortunately, the COVID obviously it's obviously uh, affected a lot of people in regards to their employment and their income. Um, we're able to honestly provide holistic solutions um, for the for the majority of people. I love that explanation. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you, boys. <laughs> Seriously, I love that. <laughs> like, the holistic, the holistic version of this. Um, Excellent. But uh, just so everybody know, Charles just like essentially brushed off his shoulder there. Yeah. Let me dust that job. off. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you guys can you guys come a little bit closer? I can I can't uh, see you guys in the in the screen. The the issue that we're finding is that one of our cameras doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, which is why this is just uh, going to be an audio podcast for the first little bit. Oh, okay. Well, I, you so know, get, like, you, desk you, you both have excellent voices. So, and I'm not the prettiest, so this works out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So, uh, final question that I'll ask for you. Say you get pre-approval, you put it into the bank. Has there, has there ever been a time that before the offer has been accepted and the closing, the person has lost out on the mortgage. Say that again, my apologies. So has there ever been a time where like, let's say Matt and I went to go buy a house, we were approved for $500,000. We had our offer accepted at $500,000, but before closing, the banks pulled out. They said, no, we're not gonna give you the mortgage anymore. Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely has happened. Because this is the thing. There's a lot of, by the time, even when you get the commitment, the commitment isn't final words. It's not Bible. It's not God, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that happen after a commitment is signed. A big thing, the appraisal, right? So if an appraisal okay. is done, and let's be honest, in this, in this real estate economy, there's not a lot of home inspections, right? because <laughs> yeah. of the competitiveness of the market yeah appraisal's done and there's a leaky ceiling that there, that we couldn't figure out or there's mold or you know lenders now i don't think they'll pull back drastically in terms of we're not doing the deal at all which could be possible but they, they could say we don't feel comfortable loaning this to you at 80 percent loan to value we want you to have more skin in the game we're dropping the ltv to 65 percent 
Okay. That would be a, that would be a huge impact. Right. That'd be a huge, it pretty much cancels the deal at that point. Cause it's like, okay, yeah, 15%. Now you have to go back to clients. Like, ha oh, man, you're already putting down 20%. You need to fork out another 15 if you want it. Right. Yeah. Or something like that. Or again, like they said, they could even just pull out. Right. Um, so th- there is a lot of things. Uh, I've had clients, you know, last minute, you know, thinking it was a good idea to like finance a car in the middle of the mortgage process. That puts them, I said it would call total debt service ratio, right? Because now they picked up a new, they picked up a, a, their financing vehicle, that monthly payment gets added and that puts them outside of the debt service guidelines that's, that's qualified for the bank. Now they don't get the mortgage, right? Hmm. Yeah, that was actually something that we spoke on last podcast yeah. was to not finance things. An Acura, to be specific, Matt. <laughs> okay. Any other car is actually fine. Okay, I got to hear. So, because I wanted to say something. But why, why specifically Acura? What's the story behind this? There was actually no story. That was just probably the first car that came to mind. <laughs> Legitimately just the first car. And so, yeah, but I also would, I would rock an MDX in a heartbeat. Yeah, they're nice cars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's that completely like? Or an NSX. Yes. Complete aside, if you could get any car. Yeah, yeah. What car would you want? Money doesn't matter. Oh, easy. All day, every day. I'm 100% Cadillac Escalade, old school SUV. Matt All Matt. right. Okay. I can kind of vibe with that. Yeah. But like money's no object and you're still going to take an Escalade, eh? Oh, yeah. Do I, I, I'm not going to lie. I have an obsession with like the Italian mafia, right? So I can just see okay. me coming with a cigar or something like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Bra, you know, suited and booted. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite uh, like mafia movie now? Oh, Scarface. Atta boy. That, uh, I'll I cheers that you to that right choice. now. Hundred percent, hundred percent. See, I'm still stuck with my Aston Martin DB5. Give me that James Bond car. Oh no, that's too small. Doesn't matter. It's got like oil slicks out the back. The headlights turn into guns. That's right. <laughs> I have no, I have no, no obsession to drive fast. Like that's a, like any any fast car. I'll stay away from Porsche, Ferrari. No way. Really? I eh? say so you're more about like that comfort. Yeah, I'm more luxury. I vibe guy. with that. Yeah. I vibe with that. Like, you know, like a Bentley Continental GT then. Yeah, something like that, like a Bugatti, you know? It was like, hey, hey, but Bugattis are fast, but you drive it slow so everyone can see it. Yeah, see, that's a little different. Maybe you have like a chauffeur or something like that. You know, that's, that's, that's what, that's what <laughs> I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's a run enough room in a Bugatti for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for your time, Charles. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to link all of your, like your Instagram and everything uh, in the post. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again when we have the podcast desk and everything. So it can actually be filmed to go out on YouTube, things like that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I'm excited. Just let me know time and date and I'm there. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks so much, man. Seriously. Is there any parting words that you want to to leave to the people that are going to listen to this? These two fine gentlemen are the best in the business. Make sure if you're in, uh, you guys are up in Barry, right? Yeah. Barry Market, you got, you guys are going to kill it. I can see it. Um, and just, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Honestly, I really do appreciate it. Um, anytime I have an a opportunity to kind of talk and speak about real estate mortgages and help 
um, whoever's going to be listening to this. Um, hopefully, you guys were able to pick up something, and I uh, can't wait to do it live, right, in studio when you guys get your, your, full, your full setup. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. All right, guys. Charles, thank you again, man. No, thank you.